Go Indians! Raw Warriors! Whoop whoop! Redmen! Flaming Arrows and Chiefs! Well, Long Island school mascots using Native American names or logos will have until the end of the 2024-25 school year to change the names and remove the imagery, the State Education Department told Newsday. Welcome, listeners, to First Online with Fran's There's No Place Like Art. I'm Fran McGarry, your podcast host, dedicated to raising awareness of how the arts can open conversations to make our world a richer, deeper, kinder place to live. New York is among the 21 states that have taken or are considering taking formal action against the use of indigenous mascots in public schools, according to the National Congress of American Indians. Colorado, Maine, Nevada, New Hampshire, and Oregon have implemented similarly broad bans, while other states have chosen to bar specific names according to the National Congress of American Indians. Native-themed mascots dehumanize Native people, says Larry Wright Jr., Executive Director of the National Congress of American Indians. It diminishes the enduring vibrancy and diversity of our distinct cultures, values, and life ways. My guest today, Teresa Chase, author, screenwriter, film and television producer, supports age, gender, and ethnic diversity. Welcome, Teresa. Thank you for hosting me. I'm excited to chat with you this afternoon. Well, let's just jump right in. You mentioned okay. to me that your goal is to break stereotypes in front yes. of and behind the camera, especially for women, Native Americans, and the LBGTQ community. So let's start with how does your work not only entertain audiences, but also tell stories to help audiences be open to new ideas and kind of uh, through that as well, we can talk about how the entertainment industry can make positive changes in the world. I like the way you open because it is very apropos to my work. Native Americans are some of the most abused ethnic uh, background. You know, their portrayal in film and television has, you know, pigeonholed them and they don't wear buckskins and bonnets. They don't go on the warpath. They are doctors, they are lawyers, they are school teachers. They have a broad range of abilities, talents, and it's time that they take back their culture and really let people know who they are. But also women are on the front line of being attacked. My work will support women, again, in stereotyping, breaking roles. 
most people don't know that the first some of the first best directors in the industry were women. And like so many things, when men saw how profitable the job was, they basically came in and took it over. That happens across all kinds of jobs. Oh, yeah. You know, that women started and uh, they saw the money making potential and just consumed it by men. Yes. So it's about showing people for who they are. The current trend is telling Biden he's too old. Biden is doing a hell of a job. I don't want to bring politics in this. Oh, but no, age, bring it age, in, yeah. girl. Politics is definitely on the back. <laughs> well, age discrimination is another underreported. Seniors are targeted by scammers. They're not appreciated by the industry. Those four women who have gotten together, Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, and the others, are proving that women above the age of consent still have their talent. And they're still amazing. And I would love to work with all of them. But they're they're not creating the roles for them. Women go from being children to sweethearts, to mothers, to grandmothers, and to evil crones. That's not what they what we are. A 70-year-old woman can be a sweetheart too. A child can be wise beyond their years. And by limiting people to what they're seeing on the screen, it limits role models. How does your work facilitate those goals? By creating roles that break the stereotypes. In the projects that I produce, there are roles from children all the way up to 70 plus. The roles are pivotal. And never can say goodbye. Amanda is 70 and above. She is a strong, independent, forthright woman who is a pivotal character because she knows all the secrets. And she is working to fix what she blames herself for. She had a stroke and that's not letting her stop her. There is an implied love interest. You know, it's not on the screen because it's not about their romance, but it's implied. In Chalice Island, it started off as a new Dark Shadows feature. David Selby told me that they wanted to do something more in the line of what the original series was about. So I wrote characters based on the remaining actors. I wasn't able to get the rights. I kept the characters. I took out the dark shadows. And most of the characters are, the primary characters are over 60. There's also Native American characters in there that will, when I, if jumps over to the TV series, the Native American aspects will be explored more fully including their spirituality. The main Native American character is a computer programmer. I also support veterans. We have, I've got several veterans projects on the slate. First Blood was an amazing movie, but it also created the crazy veteran stereotype. 
veterans do have issues, but most of them don't blow up towns. And if you really want to get technical, the reason the town blew up was because the bigotry of the sheriffs and the and the deputies. So what I do is make a difference. By entertaining first, you get the audiences. But by focusing on entertaining, you get past the censors and you can reach people's minds and hearts. And once you change those, you change the world. And that's one of the reasons that the industry is under attack by the ultra right, because we do make a difference. I've been telling the story about my grandmother. She grew up in a very bigoted family who, in a time that yeah, bigotry was accepted, she didn't know anything else. She was this wonderful, kind, loving person who didn't understand when Gary Coleman was on different strokes, she fell in love with him. It changed her whole perspective because she saw him as a person rather than a stereotype. She fell in love with him and she would have adopted him in a minute, but it changed her perspective. Will and Grace did wonderful things for the LBGTQ community. The community doesn't want special treatment. They just want equality to be who they are and be respected for who they are. And frankly, a lot of people need to get lives of their own. And yeah. mind their own here, here, what you're talking about rang a bell with me this this past week that on a, one of my Facebook feeds was a video of um, children under age seven or eight. A little girl was seated next to a boy, a little boy who was in a wheelchair, they said, how are you two different? And she said, well, I like chocolate ice cream and he likes vanilla ice cream. (laughs) Children don't see that. And it always, as an educator, I'm like, when does that line get crossed? You know, I always think of the song from South Pacific. You know, you've got to be carefully taught. Yes. How did you make that transition from this is who I am as a white woman and older than whatever? I have this this curse blessing because of my spiritual faith and the way my spirit came into this world. I have a very difficult time seeing people physically. I see their energy. The energy of what you project is who you are. So in a lot of ways, I am colorblind because I have a hard time seeing what a person looks like. Okay, I was a big Star Trek fan. Uhura was one of my heroes because she was a strong, independent woman who basically stood up in her power all the time. And she could be soft, she could be funny, she, you know, she could be strong, she could be deadly. And intellectual. And intellectual. I identified with her. I didn't see the color of her skin. I saw a woman who was strong, independent, and I wanted to be her. And that's the way I see people. The people that are considered the most beautiful 
in the world I see see as ugly. People have said horrible things about Whoopi Goldberg. But I consider her one of the most beautiful women in the world because of who she is and what she stands up for. I wrote myself a note. I wanted to, to get this out there. Um, so many people, they no matter what is said, they focus on the politics and the religion of it. Even if it's not there, they will force it in in order to push their agenda, whether it be banning books or movies or beer. Oh my God. Yeah. But they are Don't so say gay. Yeah. Drag queen. Oh God. Uh, yeah. A child's more or less more likely to be assaulted by yeah. a white Predator. Christian man uh, who is a religious leader than a drag queen. Or, or a gun. Or, let's or, not, let's yeah. not go there. Okay. Oh, yeah. They are people who are afraid. There you go. Anything that is different is evil. They are so focused on what they see that they're losing that they can't see what they're gaining. You know, they want to take the country back to the 1950s or this, you know, World War II or the, the Civil where the, War. Where the marginalized groups knew how to behave, quote unquote. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. Women were property. They had no voice. They, you know, they did they didn't have any independence because they didn't have, you know, financial freedom. And they once we got control of our reproduction, we get got the the education, we had the financial freedom, we became real people instead of property. Those people who want to take the country back, well, if they want to go back to that, great. Give up everything that was created after that because the rest of us are not going to be held back. Yeah. I have a number of nieces, you know, in their 20s and 30s who are voting a Republican ticket. And I say to them, I'm like, you have, do you have a, a credit card? And they're like, yeah, of course I do. I said, well, I didn't. <laughs> not until the 70s. This is part of being a liberal. Liberals fight for the right of all people. And I know, you know, I don't want to um, bring into and force the political issue, but this is what drew me to create this podcast, to put out there, this is what is happening. And this mm -hmm. is how the arts can soften your heart open your eyes. What story in particular is one that you're particularly proud of and that had a viable impact on audiences? Well, I've got two that I am really pushing, so to speak. And Freedom for All, the first shot at Fort Sumter, was originally written when Bush W. had was reelected because I saw this coming. I saw the Confederacy trying to rise and people laughed at me. It is about two women who are trying to escape bounty hunters because the one's pregnant and they're racing to a free state. And as this is happening, Congress is debating legislation that will give bounty hunters and the ability to cross state lines and kidnap them and return them to be held 
and they would be charged for with kid, kidnapping the sperm donors or the father's, you know, depending how snarky you want to be, child. They treat the child as having more rights than the woman, but also the man seeing the fetus as property and the woman as property. Wow. Is this happening now? This is happening now. Wow. In, te- in Texas, they're trying to put push through legislation that keeps women from crossing state lines. I'm aware of that, but I'm talking about your film. Is there, Okay. You- uh, well, it's the short story is available. And if you go to the website, it's free. And there's a nominal cost for it on Amazon if you have a Kindle. And if you've got the unlimited Kindle, it's free. Where did that germinate? How did it? And you're a woman in a business that is male dominated. That's yes. slowly being changed. That was one of the things that I was fascinated with your work and how you were able to get past those obstacles. It was started because I saw it coming and I wanted to send up skyrockets and basically say, <laughs> you know, you know, we got to be careful. This is coming. This is they started raising the Confederacy back then. And now Florida is the Confederacy home. And Texas is is working on, you know, fighting for that title. Women taking leadership in the industry, both in front of and behind the cameras, is necessary because there are some stories that we can only tell. But also it will change a lot of the discrimination in the industry. You know, to crone, women are pigeonholed. And there are so many of the A-list talent who are complaining about the roles that they're being offered. I want them to come come play with our toys and on our playground because we have the roles that they want. You bring up another important point, Teresa, um, and that is women are realizing that the only way they're going to make change besides what you're doing through the arts is that we need more women in offices. And one of the groups that I support is called Vote Mama, and they raise money uh, to help women run for office. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So shout out to Vote Mama. (laughs) And to people like you, I'm curious about how your work is like you you know that you made a difference because I can't prove that I made a difference. I'm just doing the best that I can. Hmm. And I'm raising awareness. And one of the things that has been a major uh, a hurdle for me and so many women is that investors and corporations are really lagging behind supporting women in business, supporting women's companies. You know, they will fund a male-dominated film faster than a woman's. They will give loans and invest in a man's film before a woman's, and that needs to change. And the women who do have those power positions need to start batting for the home team. So what my projects do 
is they break the stereotypes, but they also focus on facing fears mm -hmm. so people can heal. Investing in a startup takes courage. But the thing of it is, the profits go to the front runners and the leaders, the people who have the courage to leave the pack and do something different. And that's what we're going to be doing. And our projects are based on when you face your fear, you heal, you forgive, and you create a new beginning for yourself. How did your got, production company, um, how did you start it? How did you get past those obstacles and actually get people to fund your productions? Being a stubborn, <laughs> forthright, loud-spoken, tenacious bitch. When you refuse to accept no from an answer, sometimes you can wear them down and they will give you part of what what you want. Refusing to take no for an answer and having an answer for every one of those questions that lead to a positive result. Like what? Okay. Why should I invest in your film? Well, it's appeals to the 18 to 49 year old demographic. It is a low budget, which means it is, it has a low break even point. I've got connections with the film exhibitors, so we will be able to get the screens. It's got a diverse cast of very talented people from seven to over 70. Some of them used to be A-listers, but they aged out of the category, but they're still just as talented. There is a market for the genre. Some of them have been grandfathered into Section 181. I have learned that it has been reenacted for, for, and it's available for several more years. It is proving to them that there is a market. If you produce it, they will come because the audiences are asking for it. They're tired of the sequels, the prequels, the remakes. And oh my God, and any more superhero movies, you know, are going to make, you know, <laughs> a superhero for me is someone who has risk, has no superpowers, but goes and does it anyway and risks everything. That's a superhero. You know, a Superman who's, uh, has one, you know, Achilles heel that is extremely rare is not a superhero. He is, you know, he is practically invulnerable. So what, is, what the hell is he risking? Yeah. And going to your risking talent, where did that stem from? Where did that, that feisty girl come from? It was how I was born. I lost it for a while. It's amazing what strength you can develop when you have no other choice. I knew what I wanted and I knew how to make it happen. I made the conscious choice to go for it. I'm going to be 65 years old in about a month. I'm yes, just beginning. Sir. Pardon? <laughs> You're a youngster. 
uh, well, I am, I am, I, some of these lessons in order for me to be able to do the, the things that I needed to, I need to do, I needed to take the scenic route to develop the strength. I left the industry in the mid nineties. I had written, you know, ghost wrote s several projects. I was working with a team. We had produced two couple of projects. Uh, we were working on the third and I found out that they were stiffing the crew. I was really burnt out and I, to cut off my nose to spike my face, I walked away from the industry and I went out into the world, lived life, learned a great deal of things. I'm not going to take, you know, use those credits, but I'm taking the experience of what not to do. I've learned how you treat people is how they will treat you. And if you treat the people you work with well, they will they will stand with you. If you treat them like crap, you, you won't be able to count on them. What goes around what goes around. Oh yeah. And Karma comes is coming around and the companies who are bitching oh, and moaning yeah. about not being able to, to get people to work for them is because of the way you treat them. There you go. What's one of your favorite memories? Or a moment where, God, I'm glad I'm doing this. A pivotal moment in my, well, I got two pivotal moments. One was in college and it's my biggest regret. I went to see Vincent Price do his one man show. Oh my. After the show, he was in the hallway by himself. I, I was 15 feet away and I was too chicken to walk the 15 feet. And I kept telling myself, that's okay. I'll meet him in the future. When he died, I wrote in granite that I was going to never let that happen again. Because some things only come around once. You know, sometimes it is people don't always, you know, you know, basically it's go away kid. Especially early on, or, you know, you don't know what you're doing. But some people are, are like you who are saying, I like what you're saying. And I want to support it. Another pivotal moment was an over the moon for me. For me, I had a podcast called Until You Walk the Path, You Don't Know Where It Goes. <laughs> and I hosted David Selby. I am a diehard Dark Shadows fan. He was one of my heroes. That, that cast and crew and Dan Curtis gave me my love of cliffhangers. And they, they can take credit for making me the writer that I am. At the end of the show, he was saying they wanted to do do a new Dark Shadows feature. And he suggested I that I write it because Warner was going to be losing. Uh, their contract was up for the rights. So I wrote this. Warner uh, renewed the contract. So I took the Dark Shadows out and created Chalice Island. So he inspired me. Another pivotal moment is I when I wrote Never Can Say Goodbye. One of the characters was for Katherine Hepburn. So without the benefit of the internet, I found her, sent her the script and said, I wrote this character for you and the character of Amanda for you. Will you, yeah, please call me. I want to talk to you about working together. I got a nice note saying it was a very nice script, but I've been, I retired. So me being me, I basically said, <laughs> 
please, please, please. I want to work with you. <laughs> You're my hero. And she wrote, wrote that, thank you very much. I've retired. If I had known then what I know now, I would have wrote that a third letter and yeah, kept pushing it. So I just, I interviewed Pat Addis, who's a big Broadway producer, 90 some odd years old. And she said that I'm going to expire before I retire. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I know we're running short of time. So I want to ask people a favor of everybody who's listening to this. I have this wonderful novelette that's paired with a short story called A Butterfly is Born. It is about how when we face our fears, we can heal through our anger and reclaim the, as the, the positive aspects of our self, which is the love and forgiveness. And that's just a, a, that's a wonderful feeling. It's an up feeling. And that's one of the reasons why I think what you're doing is so important. Keep me moving forward, face your fears and open yourself up to yes. a wider, broader, kinder place to live. Thank you, Teresa, for spending time with me today. And I look forward to learning more about A Butterfly is Born. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much for hosting me. Find out more about what Fran is up to. Go to her website at firstonlinewithfran.com. This program was produced by March Hair Media and recorded at We Chief Studio Productions.